0: So, church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, today we're asking for surgery. We're asking that you would take our stony hearts and change them out, make them hearts that beat for you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so it's finally that time of the year, the time where you can put the Christmas tree up, whether it's a real tree or a fake tree. Uh, Take the ornament box out and reminisce where you got that ornament from and who made which one. It's a time to hide the Christmas pickle, if you hide one of those. I'm just curious, how many know about the Christmas pickle? That was new to me as in the last year, so uh, you guys have been holding out on me. Um, And and the debate is finally over. It is time where regardless, you can listen to Christmas music, right? Can we just be clear? Finally, you can turn on 93.9. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, do you have a favorite Christmas song? Uh, In fact, if someone's sitting next to you and you wanted to share with them, feel free, now's the time, share your favorite Christmas song. For me, you're asking? Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) I like the silly songs, like a hippopotamus for Christmas and saying hippopotamuses. That's just fun. And and recently I heard about... um, Uh, This Italian donkey, have you heard about that one, the Hee Haw, the Dominic Italian donkey? Like, that's just crazy. I don't know why Christmas needs a donkey, but hey, we'll take one. That's fine. Um, But beyond the funny ones are like the real ones, like White Christmas, Last Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas, you know, really, really good songs. Uh, Maybe you're curious uh, to know what is the number one song uh, for the last probably decade, you know, the number one Christmas song. It is the Queen of Christmas here. Let's see if I can bring her up. Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas Is You. Yep, some of you go out shopping with that song. It's great, yep. But for me, I love being in this place during Christmas. 93.9 has nothing on what we're going to have in this place. And by the way, I want to welcome, if you're new to Christianity, watching online, if you're new in this place, oh man, this is the best time of the season because we have the best message of a redeemer, a savior who loves us more than we possibly know. And and what is it when when it comes to songs to to sing about snow compared to singing about a savior? What is it to sing about a winter wonderland when you can sing about a land that was in darkness that is broken through by the light of Christ and his love? In fact, I love how Martin Luther talked about music and the value of it. Uh, He was pretty stern. He must have had the spirit of John the Baptist. I want to share a quote with you. He he said, I have no use for cranks who despise music. Look at that. Because it is the gift of God. Music drives away the devil, makes people joyful. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. And maybe that's something you've experienced as well. You just love music for what it does. In fact, uh, I have our first fill-in for today as you're taking notes. I believe that when it comes to Christian music, it has the power to soothe the soul. That you combine these incredible melodies with the best message possible. And it can be a game changer. And Christmas music means a lot to me because when I was growing up, can we kick it old school? Go way, way back when I was young. So old now. When I was growing up, Caleb did not have a monopoly on the airwaves. In fact, the only holdouts, and maybe some of you like me remember, the only holdouts when I was growing up, Michael Card, Sandy Patty, Amy Grant, remember when she crossed over, right? And so you try to turn on some Christian music. Number one, there wasn't a lot of it. And number two, not all of it was good. <laughs> Caleb did a rollback a couple weeks ago. You remember this? And I'm like, no, keep it present. I like the present more than the past. And Christmas music meant a lot because finally you had the best artists singing about the best message. There were artists who were known for having beautiful voices, now singing not only about all I want for Christmas, but also singing about Jesus, the Savior who was born. You could have Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, and Whitney Houston all belting it out for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. That was good. Because Christian Christmas music is superior. And that's what we get to dwell in. O come, o come, Emmanuel. We're going to sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. We're going to hear the first Noel. We're going to consider the haunting melody of Mary Did You Know and the majestic O Holy Night. Now, as we get into today's uh, lesson, the songs of Christmas and O come, o come, Emmanuel, a little bit about this song. Uh, this was a song of preparation. In fact, church history would tell us that in the seven original verses, you would sing one verse for each day uh, anticipating Christmas. So if you've ever done an advent calendar or know what that's like, uh, this is what this song would do in preparing our hearts to receive Jesus. Now when I consider these lyrics, I'm drawn to a very rich portion of scripture, um, the portion from Isaiah chapter 40. And, and man, did I have fun dwelling in these words this past week. Um, I hope you enjoy them today. They're the context from which we preach today. And uh, they're uh, found in your worship folders. They're going to be online. Or if you have a Bible today, uh, feel free to bring that out as well. So Isaiah chapter 40, let's get into it. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. All their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns, Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with mighty arms. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. These are incredible verses. And uh, if you could uh, participate a little bit today, could you say out loud, the Christian message means comfort. The Christian message means comfort. And that's why it's good to be in this place. Let's talk about it. You know, it's been well documented that for many people, this is actually not the most wonderful time of the year. It's actually the toughest time of year. I don't know if you've done any research on the Christmas blues. But studies would show that not only suicide rates, but rates of depression are on the uptick during the holidays. Now, why is that? I was doing some research, and I found three um, likely causes. Number one is stress. We are already busy Americans made busier by Christmas cards, Christmas cookies, Christmas pageants, Christmas office parties, all of that's going on right now. Number two, a state of comparison. If you're on social media, you can always find someone who seems to have done Christmas a little bit better. You just went around the neighborhood to look at the lights, someone else went to a maze at Tinley Park. You got one piece of technology. Someone else got a piece of technology three times the value. But probably the biggest and the one that makes a lot of sense to me is is loneliness. See, Christmas is a time where we remember who can't be with us and who we're not going to see and how the seasons have changed. And that's why I love being in this place when we gather Because I believe the Christian message brings comfort. And if people really are getting down, they need to dwell in what it means that Jesus is born. In fact, the next fill-in. One of the reasons that I believe we can welcome Emmanuel's coming is because he brings comfort. And that was the first verse. Isaiah says about this Christmas message, twice he says, comfort, comfort. And by the power of the Spirit, we not only hear those words, but receive what the words intend to bring. Our God shows up to say, whatever's going on, whatever reason you have to be blue, comfort is what I have. You can be uplifted today. And then he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now now that struck me this week because God knew the history with his people and his His people were rebels. If God had the right to go off on anyone, like John the Baptist did in our first lesson, man, he could have gone off, and yet he says, no, speak tenderly to them. This also reminds me of being in a disagreement. Have you ever been in a disagreement where you can say the right thing, but say it in the wrong way? (laughs) Tone of voice. And so God says, not only do I have the right message for you, but it should be proclaimed with the right tone. It should be proclaimed with joy, with peace, and a grin. This is a message that we should proclaim from the mountaintops, that everyone should hear. They have the right to be comforted because of the Christmas message. And then he dives in on, on why we can be comforted. And what we'll see is that there are three reasons for comfort through this text. So Isaiah is a prophet, and what he's prophesying is, is the future captivity of God's people. For 70 years, they're going to have captivity in Babylon, taken from their homes, put in a land not their own. They're going to have to follow the laws and the regulations of masters and lords uh, when they're enslaved. And it Isaiah says, it's not going to last. You might have that for a time, but that hard service will come to an end. One of the reasons for comfort, he says, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that that is a fixed time, not a forever time, that captivity. Soon you will be released, sooner than you know. It's only going to last a generation. That message is still relevant for us. It's amazing to me how I see sorrow and joy living side by side. Like, it's sometimes hard for me to to respond if I had a good or a bad day. Now, from the grace of God, it's always a good day. I get that. But good or bad completely, that's kind of hard to describe because I don't know if your life is like mine. You can have one moment that's like bringing you tears and angst and all this, and then a next moment comes and you're laughing and you have reasons for joy. Like that's Christmas too, isn't it? sorrow and joy side by side in the season. I have waves of grief for those who can't be here and those who I won't see, and yet I have waves of comfort and joy by the grace of God and what he's doing in my life and what he's given. Sorrow and joy. The psalmist put it well when he said, you know, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing, that will come in the morning. I take comfort in the perspective of the church fathers. The church fathers said that while you're on earth and not with the Lord, you are the church militant. Which means you have a battle to face. Every day that you wake up, you go to battle with yourself, with the world, with those around you. When Jesus comes, when he returns, it is then that we are the church triumphant. The church that have victory completed. The church that reigns forever with the one who has overcome. But Isaiah says, Remember this perspective. Sorrow, sadness, it will not last. That's fixed. What is forever is joy. So we can welcome Christ's coming because it means sorrow is fixed and joy is forever. This is just a short season. Whatever the season. Paul says whatever you're going through is light and momentary in the scheme of eternity. But there's more reasons for comfort, and to talk about this, I want to talk about Christmas presents. Kids, do you have anyone that you have to go to to ask for that present? Maybe it's a really expensive present. Mom and dad says, you know what, we can't get it. You know who you should ask. That's a present for. Now, in my household, that was grandma's responsibility. Um, We had grandma's astro. She was amazing. Grandma's astro is the reason we had a tube television growing up, reason I had a Nintendo and eventually had my own personal TV. I felt like a king because of Grandma's Astro. But Mom and Dad, they couldn't afford that stuff. you got to ask Grandma's Astro. My other grandma also had a great philosophy. She could do this thing. We ask for something big, it's fine. I'll get it for you. Just the next five Christmases of your gifts. <laughs> I love that philosophy too. What I learned from a young age is not everyone can pay for everything. You have to ask the right person in order to pay for that thing, right? We come to the Lord, and we wonder, what is the cost of sin? How can we atone for a single sin? And the Bible is very clear. You and I can never give enough and never pay enough. In fact, if we believe that was the case, we would mock the message of Christmas and for sure mock the cross of Jesus Christ. When Isaiah was living, he had a system of sacrifice. The people of his day, they'd bring bulls and goats and doves, And they would learn that sin requires payment. Sin requires payment. But the New Testament reminds us that bulls and goats and doves could never pay the price. In the book of Hebrews, it says, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Who only could pay for sin? That's the baby born. The baby born to die. So that we could know It didn't matter if it was a moment of sin or a lifetime of sin. So that we could know whether it's a small sin or a grand sin. Whether it's a whole heap or a whole little. The cross of Jesus covers it. That the lavish grace of God goes further. And so why can we have comfort? Reason two. We welcome Christ's coming. Because it means all sins are covered doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how long. You know, that's recognized because um, a man named Jeffrey Dahmer is in the spotlight again. Have you heard his name? So I guess Netflix produced a series on Jeffrey Dahmer that's getting some traction. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but Jeffrey Dahmer. And uh, he did things that I won't even speak about. Um, they were so horrible. Uh, however, uh, the reason I bring him up is because, you know, at the end of his life, He was known for saying this, that I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so Christian people, non-Christian people, they all look at Jeffrey Dahmer and they're like, now if that's true, if, if he really does believe in Jesus, can he go to heaven? Like, will I go to heaven and shake hands with Jeffrey Dahmer and say like, what's up, brother? It's a scandal of grace, isn't it? It might even strike your heart and be like, is that like really what the the Christian Christmas message is? Is that Jeffrey Dahmer gets to go to heaven? It is the Christian message. And it's actually a really good and comforting one. Because it means that if God can forgive a Jeffrey Dahmer, he can forgive me. And he can forgive my unspeakable moments. And he can forgive you and your unspeakable moments. The moments that we all have and are not proud of. That God's grace goes further. Glorious grace. There's a third reason for comfort. You know, sometimes I like looking at the Christian life and Christian eternity in the perspective of one day. I want you to imagine that for the first 10 minutes of one day, it's completely awful. I want you to imagine you wake up, and the kids are screaming, and that's why you wake up. And then you stub your toe on the bedroom post. Then you get in the shower, and there's no warm water. You have a cold shower. Then you get out of the shower, and you slip, and you bruise your knee. It's just awful. But then you go downstairs. And the reason the kids were screaming is because they're making you breakfast. They made it beautifully, your favorite thing. On the table that day is a note from your spouse. Your husband's taking you to your favorite restaurant. And not only that, but he wrote a really great note. You go to work, and the boss calls you in, and you're getting a promotion. Not only is your pay double, um, but also you don't have to work with that person anymore, whoever that is. You go to your car, and you forget that you bought a lottery ticket yesterday. And sure enough, you check the numbers. You won a billion dollars. You go home. Your husband gets it exactly right. The meal is delicious and you have food euphoria. And man, is it a good night. Now, if that were the case, is that a good or a bad day? That's a pretty good day. That 10 minutes might be your whole life on earth. But the rest, that's eternity, friends. Because of the Christian message, because Christ is born, You have a glory and a grace that will far outweigh anything you experience here. It doesn't matter how badly you stubbed your toe. It doesn't matter how shocking that cold shower is. It doesn't matter the pain and the woe. God's glory and grace goes further. It outweighs, and this is the message. Isaiah said, you're going to receive double. And so our next fill-in. We welcome Christ because his grace and glory far outweigh our current circumstances. You know, the psalmist, uh, Moses in Psalm 90, he had anticipation uh, of God's goodness in this way. When when Moses was reflecting on the end of his life, he he reflected on on some of the bad. In in fact, he said, man, uh, our lives are 70 and 80, but, but filled with sorrow and pain. But he also said this. He said, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble, Now, that's his request, right? That we could be as glad as we were as sad. And the psalm doesn't answer if that's going to happen on earth. But scripture does answer that that will happen for all who are found in him. That we'll have far better days and far more of them than the sadness we experience here on earth. And why? Because Christ is born. Because Christ came. Because the baby who was born was also content to die. And when he died, he paid all our punishment. And when he rose, he reminded us, we're not victims of this life. We are victors through him. And we are reminded today that no matter the sorrow, joy goes further. No matter the sin, grace goes further. No matter the despair, hope goes further, and it's a certain hope that will culminate someday. And so I don't know a better message. But before I leave, I can't just tell you about the comfort, I also have to give you the caution, because the saddest part of this season is not about a gift not under the tree. The saddest part of the season is not about who you cannot be with at Christmas. The saddest part is not the anxiety and the stress. You know the saddest part of this whole season? Is that most people are going to miss the Christmas message. Most people are not going to receive the comfort that could be theirs and are going to have reason to live in sadness, live unchanged. Jesus reminds us that the path to destruction, it is wide. And the path to eternal life, it is narrow. And so as Isaiah brings this comfort, he also brings a word of preparation. We can talk a little bit about that. As we do, I wonder, when you celebrate Christmas, is there anything that you have to do, otherwise it won't feel like Christmas? Now some of you, you might say, well, I have to go and chop down a tree and make sure my living room smells like a forest. Otherwise, it won't be Christmas, right? Some of you. Others of you have baking parties. You're those baking parties? I have to get all the people together. We're going to bake cookies, those pretzels, you know, covered with chocolate. I'll take some of them, by the way. <laughs> Think of me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, otherwise, it won't be Christmas. Some of you have to do the neighborhood lights. You have to get in the car. We're all getting in the car. Come on. We're going to look at the lights. Right? You drive around, you look at the lights, right? And without these things, it won't feel like Christmas. We, we prepare in certain ways. We have certain things that we do to prepare. And Isaiah says, okay, you, you preparers, well, I want you to prepare in another way too. In fact, in Isaiah, after the comfort, he says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And then he describes how to do this. He says, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people together will see it. Now, what is that talking about? Well, if a mountain is in your way, can you see what's behind it? Nope. If you're in a valley in the bottom of it, can you see what's on the surface level? Nope. And so this kind of reminds me of Zacchaeus' problem last Sunday. If you are here last Sunday, Pastor Jeff was awesome, told us about Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and and to to suffice and overcome that, what did he do? He climbed a sycamore tree because the Lord Jesus, he wanted to see. Some of you know the song, right? That's what he's saying. What happens when we raise valleys and we lower mountains? We make a plain for people to see what needs to be seen. And that's what Isaiah says to do you want to prepare for Christmas, you better clear a path to see him. And that's such a relevant word. (laughs) I I think it's just addressed for us in this time because we face Christmas with busyness. You have a ton to do this season. You have so much to do that Jesus could just be an add-on. And you'd have enough to go to, enough to be active in, where where you wouldn't really have to see Jesus. And so what might you have to do? Well, this past week, our staff was talking about boundaries. I don't know if you've ever done a discussion on boundaries in your staff. Um, The discussion uh, based on Nehemiah is uh, this idea that when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something. Do, Do you know that? You can't do two things at the same time. So if you say yes to something, you're, you have to understand, you're saying no to something else. That works for people. When I say yes to a person, I'm saying no to another person, right? I can't meet with two people at the same time. They, they go in tandem, right? And so during this season, you know what I arm you with? I want to arm you with an arsenal of no's. I want to prepare you to say no to that obligatory gathering, whatever that means for your world. That extra thing, that not needed thing. I want you to have so many no's ready so that when Sunday morning comes and when Christmas Eve comes, your heart is bursting because you have kept the main thing the main thing, and you are ready to see the reason there is comfort and the reason that this world has been overcome by joy through Jesus Christ. And so we got to prepare because we're busy people. Clear your path and see Jesus. Let's do that together. Now, that's the practical piece, the bigger piece. Well, that's the prophecy. Do you know who the prophecy was all about? That voice in the wilderness that is calling? Some of you might know. First lesson, John the Baptist. And so as Isaiah is prophesying about the work of John the Baptist, and speaking about how we prepare, I had to consider again, what is the work of John the Baptist? Now, I did some research in the New Testament. And the New Testament says this, that he will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people ready and prepared for the Lord. I read those words, and would you agree, don't we need someone like John the Baptist today? We need someone to do this again. And then I said, well, how did he do it? What did, what did he come prepared for? Like, like how did God use him? And I was studying what, what he said and what his message was. It's very clear throughout the Bible. In fact, um, just like you can sum up all of God's laws in the word love, you can sum up all of God uh, John the Baptist's messaging in a single world. You know what that word is? Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of the Lord God is near. And what is repentance? It is acknowledging and turning from our sins so that we can turn towards the Savior. And then I wondered, well, why is our age so different in not turning to the Lord? And then I wondered, is there a dichotomy? Is is there a correlation? Is there something going on with the people of our age and this idea of repentance? How good are we as a people dealing with repentance? How good is our age at looking at sin, acknowledging sin and saying, I don't want sin anymore. People have been observing for a while now that we live in a no shame society there is no moral compass but what we've established there is no right and wrong it's just up to opinion and even those without jesus are seeing the ramifications of what happens when we do this i was reading the new york post not a christian resource and one commentator said this in a no shame society it's impossible to overstate what we're losing. Shame is crucial in a well-functioning society. It's an evolutionary adaptation that keeps us cooperating, considerate, and safe. And yes, we become less safe, haven't we? <laughs> Read the news. But bigger? If we don't repent, if we don't acknowledge our sin... And are cut to the core by not someone else's shame, not someone else's guilt, but our own, then the message of Jesus is just an add on. It's just another thing that adds to a busy schedule instead of the only thing needed. And if we repent, if we just humbly come before the Lord and say, I'm broken, then I don't know what is more beautiful, more precious than the name of Jesus. Jesus who we need to ransom us from captivity. Jesus who we need to conquer the troubles of this world and to speak peace to our hearts. And that's what you have. So brothers and sisters, let us continue to repent. And see Jesus for who he is. The lover of our souls. The redeemer of this world. The hope that has no end. How do we prepare our last villain? It's through repentance. And so your next step today is to prepare for Christmas by keeping the main thing the main thing. And may God comfort you this season with fresh eyes to see how much it was needed, the redemption that he brought. May he remind you this preparation you do for Christmas is really the same activity to see him again because he's returning a second time. And may he, in every season, find you prepared to meet him as we repent and receive his goodness, his glory, and his love. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, at this time, we have the opportunity to encourage one another. The way we encourage one another is we confess a common faith, our common need for Jesus and and what he's done for us. So I invite you to confess with me the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord